0: I hope you understand the difference between a quote and an estimate and you seriously need to Google that shit if you don't, but a quote is a fixed price. An estimate is a kind of ballpark, stand back from the dartboard and throw it. It's got no reliability to it. It's an estimate. How old are you going to be before you start to experience life like you want it? I want to tell you right now, whether you like it or not, there is a better way to do business. Hi everyone, welcome to the uh, Business for Builders podcast. Welcome to you, if you in your uh, in YouTube land. Uh, my name is Max. I'm the CEO of Smith and Sons. Uh, do all that sort of stuff. Like and subscribe, and leave us a comment. All that sort of stuff. If you want to talk to me via email, you can max at businessforbuilders.ca. Um, just would love any kind of interaction. Whatever you whatever you've got, uh, whether you've got some questions about how to develop high performance businesses. Um, or anything around operations, or sales, or estimating, or anything that you got that you might have a little query about, I'd love to hear from you. Okay, so uh, on this episode, um, look as you know, I mean, we're in an operational business here. I've, uh, you know, we have introduced eleven general contractors to uh, the Smith and Sons organization worldwide. We're over a hundred franchises, uh, all general contractors doing renovations, mostly some custom homes. Um, and today, I'm going to quickly. I'm just going to cover off as quickly as I can that, that I would say is going to bring value to you know some of you guys and gals, and I'm assuming that I'm chatting mostly to general contractors, but there's takeaways if you're just a you know a, a subcontractor. There's definitely takeaways that you can uh, you'll be able to use off the back of this uh, quick discussion. So what I'm going to talk about today is how to quote a five hundred thousand dollar Reno. Now uh, this has all come about from uh, one of my GCs, and we've had an interesting. Uh, it's probably almost a week uh, from the inquiry first meeting through to today. And, um, you know, I just felt that, uh, you know, I want to cover off some of that information from that experience that might be able to help you guys and gals uh, in your uh, in your operation, in, in what you're doing there in your local community. Um, so really, uh, obviously, it's a fairly broad subject when I say how, you know... Uh, I'm going to cover information or I'm going to cover subjects to do with how to uh, quote a $500,000 job. For the sake of time, I'm going to probably just talk about uh, four, four main pillars that I see in that. And of course, there's things that need to be added onto or uh, built on top of uh, in, in, a, in a lot more micro than what I'm going to share with you in the next um, 15, 20, 25 minutes. Um, so if you're in between uh, meetings at the moment, you've got a 20, 25-minute drive, I will try and keep it to 25 minutes um but uh look it's always it's always good to jump back in your truck and, and uh carry on from where you left off so um look i think everything that we do we talked about having um you know a, a business is run by systems and good talent uh utilizes those systems to obviously run and operate the business so really what we're talking about here is a you know an overall process uh probably in the sales and quoting side of things i'm not going to talk about the construction side um but you know i think focusing on how do we win that that job because really what what my focus uh, has been in this little experience that we've had over the last week with one of my gcs it really does highlight uh the the reasons behind why we do what we do and and out of that you know i was able to sort of just sort of compartmentalize a few things and and the reasons why we do what we do uh so look um you know i think in a nutshell to to preface this this episode uh, information, it's, you know, we have a thing called a quantity takeoff service. We call it a QTS. It's not a big deal, but when we've got clients that are approaching us to do projects, any projects really from 25,000 upwards, how is it possible that we can give to the client a quote, right? And so, you know, for a project when you or I, the builder, don't know, what the things are in that project that are going to need to be catered for. Now, if you're doing what I call, if you're on a kachunka machine, in other words, you're doing, um, you know, you've got the same five plans and you, or, or 50 plans and you build the same stuff over and over. This is not going to apply. What we're talking about here is renovations and custom homes. So essentially, the renovation and custom homes is kind of, it's going to require the same focus, okay? Because there's not two jobs or two renos that are the same. And a custom home is called a custom home for a reason, right? So everything that you do, you can't assume. You can make some probably really basic, you know, assumptions as to what's going to be included. But really, you know, there's not a lot. Anything with aesthetic value needs to be brought to us by the client because it's not my damn house. It's your house. You've got to tell me what sort of countertops you want, what sort of laminate that you want, what kind of kitchen cabinet doors you want, all of that, right? So this is why, you know, it can be frustrating. It's, it's frustrating when I'm talking to my guy about this situation because the client's saying that we are in the, the what I would call estimated price range uh, uh, part of this negotiation whereby we don't have the information to give them a fixed price and we, we do everything on fixed price. But to do that, we need the selection sheet filled out, which is what's got to be done by the client with our support and our collaboration and we can help them with that. But ultimately, they've got to make the choice. Now, we are getting dismissed because the client is saying that our initial estimate, our price range, our, our estimated price range is significantly higher than the other two builders that they've spoken to. And my guy has, has, has reiterated the point that Mr. and Mrs. Client, we cannot possibly nail down a fixed price number without the specifications being determined. And yet they're telling us we have got to come down to be in line with these other builders to get a shot at winning that contract. It is ridiculously ludicrous. It drives me frigging batshit crazy. I don't understand why they don't understand it. However, there is therein lies the part of the challenge of being a general contractor. Um, what you don't know, you don't know. These clients think that these other the differentiation in price has got to be 30% between what we've given them an estimate as far as a price range and uh, the other builders it's a massive there's a massive difference between the two numbers and of course they're clinging on to the fact that they want this project to cost as least as possible who doesn't but ultimately you can't go and buy a rolls-royce for a kia price it just doesn't happen now we don't know here's what you don't know you you, like the other the, the homeowner is going to assume that all builders know and build the same which is the biggest load of horseshit under the sun. We don't know what their skill set is or what, how do they do estimates and what's their sales process, like what's their experience. Like there's all kinds of X factors and anomalies that we have no control over and no understanding of. So this is why you've got to have your system and that these clients buy in accordance with your selling system that you don't sell in accordance with their buying system. Does that make sense? If you do that, that's going to be the tail wagging the dog and you are going to live a life of construction misery, my friend. And that is something that you've got to identify and you've got to change. So let's get on with, i got four points for you. There's four things that you're going to need to know to help you uh, sell a, or quote, a $500,000 uh, or any reno, to be honest, like, you know, any project. But this is what you really, if you want to go big time and you want to sort of get into the 500 to $1.5 million renos, um, this is a good place to start. The first thing is you've got to know how to estimate. If you can't build it in your head, um, you, you're going to really struggle with uh, estimating the build process or creating the build process within. Oh, side note: if you're not using a job management software, you're going to be you're going to go crazy. It's just you've got to have something. I don't care whether it's it's Build Exact, whether it's Build a Trend, whether it's Co Construct, whether it's something else. But you need something where everything happens under that umbrella it's got to you've got to be able to handle your your sales process even maybe a a, a, a minor CRM or customer relations management uh, process it's got to be able to do your estimates and your quoting and your you know it's got to do invoicing. It's got to do some some have some account capability that syncs with an accounting program for your accounting and reporting. Um, but you've got to know how to build the thing because if you don't, you, you're not gonna. You, you, how can you put together if you can't estimate a fifty thousand or seventy thousand dollar kitchen project where you're going to need to talk to fifteen to twenty trades on those sorts of projects? You you really it, you you shouldn't be looking at five hundred thousand dollar renos because you, you, you're just gonna you're gonna screw yourself. I would say, okay, so you you need to have a very competent understanding. So I was in the game for about 20 years as a subcontract carpenter before I got my builder's license. I'd worked on everything from commercial high-rises to townhouse projects to uh, building, you know, uh, high-density shitbox, like, single detached dwellings, um, even to, like, 4,000-square-foot, like, turnkey operations on, you know, large house lots where, you know, they had the whole things, of the pergolas, the, the swimming pools, you know, the full-blown landscaping, fencing, the whole nine yards, right? So it was 20 years that I did all of that before I actually went and applied. Now, it took me three times to get my builder's license um, because I'm not an academic and I struggle with that. But the, what I'm getting at is that what I did in that first 20 years, and if, if you're a young fellow or young, young gal and you just got into construction... Um, and you 're twenty three and you 're wondering why you 're not dominating you seriously need to uh, you, need, you need to put some uh, you need to apply some patience to your situation because i 'm forty nine i 'm friggin old and it 's why i 'm sitting on this side of the camera talking about my experience because you can 't buy experience now I think that you can learn something uh, from the old boys like me. Um, and you can save yourself a lot of heartache and pain. But the the challenge for you is because you're impatient, you don't want to listen to old boys like me. And I get that, and I was probably a little bit arrogant in that regard as well and wanted to learn the hard way, and sometimes that's just the way it's got to be. So a lot of that previous experience, uh, but if you can take away and you can be a very good student of the business, in other words, pay attention. So this is something that I quickly chatted with um, our creative director, and I said, you know, it's interesting because I thought I got hard done by – when I got an apprenticeship with a fellow by the name of Philip Usher uh, in Brisbane, and I was working for Phil as an apprentice carpenter, but he would literally send me off with Gary, the bricklayer bricklayer and Lenny, the concreter. And he'd have me boxing up pools and driveways, you know, and prepping the rebar and, and I would do landscaping for weeks on end. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not learning carpentry. The thing was what was happening was I was getting exposed and I didn't know this, this is Mr. Little arrogant, you know, first, second, third year carpenter wanting to call the shots. What I didn't understand was I was actually getting my black belt in a, in a lot of the other trades because I was, I would interact. Now I'm a little bit outgoing. I would think I'm more of an introvert, but on a building site and in the building game and dealing with clients, I really enjoy that process. Um, So, you know, I think that whilst that was all happening intuitively or subconsciously almost, I was just developing an understanding of the sequence of events within a project and how all of the different trades and suppliers interfaced and collaborated throughout the the process. So that's the first point. You've got to know how to estimate. You've got to know who's who in the zoo and how they interact and how they interface and and if there's, you know, collaboration uh, uh, and that's going to help you. When you're building in your, I would, I'm going to assume you've got a piece of software. Uh, And what I do is, you know, we, we build categories and we build items within categories and within the items within the categories, we're building recipes and assemblies. And so that can really expedite our process when it comes to uh, creating, you know, an initial price estimate for a client, but also confirming uh, with a high level of accuracy, uh, the, the final set of specifications and the price uh, that's associated with that uh, specification list. So, that's the first thing you need to have that as your as an attribute as a as a uh, you know as a, you know part of your uh, expertise. You need to be able to sort of be confident that yeah I can you know if I've got a five hundred thousand uh, dollar renovation, I can look at the building, I can go on Google, I can look at the roof structure. I know that how to how to peel back the roof. I understand you know uh, what I've got to do to make the site safe. I know what I've got to do to be able to deconstruct and, and demo. Um, you know, and can I do an addition to the back of the house for the foundations whilst I'm doing the existing, like all of this sort of stuff, you need to be able to live in virtual reality, my friend. You need to be able to literally build that in your head, watch it be deconstructed or demo, you know, get the demolition component take place and then the reconstruction begin. You've got to be able to envisage that and you've got to be able to see that with confidence so that you can then start to build your estimate um, in relation to that. Okay. So the second thing is, is you've got to have a network of designers. Okay. So... You need you need architects, you need uh, geotechs, you need engineers, you need interior designers. You you need to have those folks around you to support your ability to sell to the client, uh, and also your ability to um, you know be able to take those costs into consideration. So you know if you've got a, if you've got an architect or a drafts person that you use all the time, um, then you're gonna you're gonna and you've done a few projects maybe, but if you're just starting out, you're gonna not gonna know what costs are associated around those three or four designers, right? So um, for me when I first come to this town, I was fortunate enough to have some of my wife's family that were involved in construction so I would ring good old Pete and uh, and I would say Pete, who do you use as an engineer? who do you use as I think I started with an architect because architects tend to know engineers, geotechs, interior designers right So start with the architect and so I'd ring up you know uh, big shout out to Matt. Uh, who's the architect in town here that we we do a little bit of business with. And, um, and then from that, I would just keep asking questions. So, Matt, who do you know who is a, you know, who, which engineers or engineers, because you're going to need a couple maybe, that you'd recommend? And so I would start to network, you know, and I didn't even know really what that word meant. I just knew that I needed to build business relationships with each of these designers to enable me to be able to sort of, uh, quote, expeditiously, efficiently, and accurately, right? So... You know, that's going to take a lot of work. Now, side note, when you're going to, you know, you've got to know your costings uh, for those guys and gals as well. And you've also got to know how they interact. Like with an engineer, they're going to charge you three or four hundred bucks Canadian to go out and do a structural assessment. And then, of course, they might charge you upwards of $1,500 to do a structural design depending on the size of the project. If it's a small addition, it's going to be less. If it's going to be a massive second-story addition with a with a with uh, an addition out the back, your, your costs are going to you know, go up. So you're going to need to be able to sort of understand what they do and why you need them and then what the costs associated are going to be for their services. So... This brings me to my next point. Number, number, point number three. You've got to have a, a very organised RFQ process. Now, RFQ stands for uh, request for quotation. Uh, you're going to need to have a very organised RFQ process because uh, I remember back in the dark ages, I would literally open up twenty emails because you know that you've got to attach the same PDF plan to the email to send it to the plumber, the electrician, the carpenter, the concreter, you know, the, the drywaller, the roofer. The Windows guy, like everyone needs a copy of these plans, so I'm literally just open, 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 open. Now, with the software that we use, it enables us to do the RFQ, have an RFQ process that is easy to execute. It's also easy to track, and so the accountability process as far as deadlines for, for quotes back, um, that is is fairly well organized. Now, you as the operator, you know, it's not a set and forget. You've actually got to go in there and maintain that RFQ system um, and it means that I don't know where, where you're doing business, but what I find is that uh, our trades can be fairly uh, tardy on producing RFQs for us or, or quotes off the back of the RF, RFQ, um, the request for quote. So you've got to have good relationships. And as much as we built you know, good networks with our designers, you also need to build uh, networks within the subcontractor and supplier network within, uh, within your ecosystem now. Just quick side note: I get a lot of my guys, you know, interested in, hey, have we got buying power with James Hardy, or do we have buying power with uh, Home Hardware, or whatever? I want to encourage the little guys that you look for where your advantage is. You know, of course, if you if you've got multiple offices like we do here in Canada, there's going to be some knock on benefit as far as you know pricing because, and we haven't even really got started um, because you're just going to have the volume. That's that's simple. But I want you to look at your situation, and 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 really, your advantage is your lack of overhead. You're not paying a bunch of people. You haven't got an office. You know, instead of having buying power, you've just keeping your fixed expenses very well under control and down. So, um, you know, as it relates to talking suppliers, don't go in there and try and grind the shit out of them. They're just going to laugh you out the room. Um, go in there. No, you know. Side note: We're talking about you know uh, estimating. You you know, trying to calculate your markups, right? You're gonna to need to know your, your business numbers. You've got to be able to tell me uh, in a moment that you know what what your business costs you to run, because that's gonna then help you ascertain or confirm what your markup percentage needs to be for you to just keep the lights on. You've got to figure out what your what I call your break even point is. So, um, you know, don't go to the suppliers and go. I need a, a good deal on this. And I would encourage you to also take it easy on your subs. Um, I I was a sub for two decades and it would just piss me off that people would expect me to subsidize their success by giving you a a ridiculously cheap price. And I would then hate them because I would be working for no dough. So just be careful you don't undermine your own success. I used to, and of course, because I was quite a cantankerous, bad-tempered little contractor, um, which went against me often, um, you know, I I would tell these superintendents, I said, we make you look good, bro you know, which wasn't, which which was the truth. You know, we did a really good job and and it really helped him with his, you know, the client experience. So it wasn't that I wasn't off. It was probably the delivery, which was savagely off. Um, but at the end of the day, we've got to understand that, you know, our relationships with our subs really uh, assists us in being able to deliver an end result that is actually good for our business long term. And I need you to think long term, Okay. Don't get hot-headed you know, hot-headed and go out there and try and grind suppliers and grind subs because that's where you think you're going to make the money. What you're going to find is uh, that you're going to become very unattractive to suppliers and subs because they go, I just don't enjoy working for that guy. All he does is bust my balls about price all the time. I'd rather go and work for this guy. You've got to start thinking about how do I become a preferred uh, general contractor where subs and suppliers really enjoy doing business with you. Now, once you've got some uh, credibility with said suppliers and subcontractors, there might, I tell you what will happen is, especially right now, is they might actually be able to delay a price rise because you're such a good guy or gal. Think about that. This is why I'm saying, think about the long game. You want to go and grind them, guess what? The first chance they get, uh, here's an email, send this to Joe Blow Builder and let him know that our shit just went up 7% because he's such a dick, so I can't wait to, for him to read this email, right? Or alternatively, he's such a good dude to work for, let's postpone this price rise for three months. They, you've just made money because you're a good dude or you're a good dudette, right? So just think about that. So that's sort of, you know, that's in combination with your RFQ process. You've got to have a way to communicate, to make your trades and your uh, suppliers uh, accountable the fact that you've, you know, established deadlines and all that sort of thing, you've got to include all the data in the email. And, you know, as much as I say I opened 20 emails and I put the set of plans in the old days, I attached that PDF to the plan, the content of the email was very different from trade to trade. Obviously. Obviously, if you're going to give it out to three plumbers to quote, then obviously the, the verbiage can be the same. But if you're talking about plumbers, electricians, drywallers, tile setters, you know, it's all going to be different, right? So it takes a shit ton of time. And this is why you need to use tools now, if you're in the if you're a carpenter by trade, you don't cut shit with a friggin' handsaw. You're going to use a skill saw. You, like it's just that's why we do. We evolve. So why is it that we're still not we're not we're using Excel spreadsheets instead of using proper software that actually cover all of our business operations instead of just the estimating part? Blows me away. But anyway, because tools. Actually, are a leveraging have a leveraging capability that buys us back time. If I was going to cut a two by ten with a handsaw, and you were going to cut a two by ten with a freaking skill saw, you'd cut three of them before I'd cut one or more. Right? You see what I'm saying? So tools give you leverage, and when you leverage, you buy back time, and time is the most valuable asset. Okay, that was something extra to think about. Right? Organized RFQ RFQ process, and make sure you're dealing with your supplies and your, and your subcontractors in a in a mature. Uh, competent fashion, right? Okay, so the last thing you're going to need is to really help you uh, quote a five hundred thousand dollar Renault. Uh, is the selection sheet, and here is where it all starts for me. This is the biggest bugbear. How are you supposed to go down to the local, you know, Ford Motor Company and order a, you know, a pickup truck, and you don't tell them what color, what features, you know, what drivetrain, blah blah blah. What what are they going to ask you for straight away? What color do you want? You know, do you want four wheel drive, two wheel drive? Do you want crew cab? Do you want single cab? Do you want extra cab? Do you want a six foot six box? Do you want an eight foot box? Um, like all of that, you know? Do you want a four wheel drive drivetrain? Like that—that's what we need to know as builders. How, now, the the classic is when you've got a client that wants a five hundred thousand dollar Reno. The, the 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 funniest thing they ask me for is, "Oh, Max, so what's your square foot rate? A thousand dollars a square foot? Like I don't know. Like how can you? You can't use." A, a, a square foot rate because there's zero predictability in every different reno. It just doesn't figure out. Now, if you've done a few renos, you might say, "Well, this is going to be a three hundred fifty to five hundred thousand dollar reno." You can tell them that, but the square foot rate goes out the window. It might be three hundred square, three hundred bucks a square foot or more. Uh, maybe up to three hundred fifty for a new home right now. But that's because we're doing the same stuff over and over, and it's got an element of predictability, which helps us. When you start talking about a 2,000-square-foot home that's going to have an addition, it's going to have a second-story, it's going to have an addition out the rear, and it's going to have a, you know, a second-story addition, and we're going to renovate three bathrooms in the existing home, and we're going to repaint the whole place inside, like, and a new roof. Like, you can't – there's no square foot – there's no assembly, there's no recipe that can short-circuit the, the coming up with the final number. And, and so this is where I started. You know, we, we have to, uh, if we're going to do a custom project, i.e. a $5,000 reno or a custom home, it needs to be disassembled and broken down, and then it's got to be all then put together back into a, a proper quote, and the way we do that is a selection sheet. So um, however it is that you create a generic uh, selection sheet for your client is up to you. Would I be able to use uh, Excel spreadsheet for this? Probably. Now, we've got software that, you know, as we go through and we do the estimate, we can click a specification, sorry, an allowance button. That means that we, we put it into an allowance list. We can modify that, that Word document uh, and that gives us the ability to then um, send off that list off the back of our estimate. So we're creating a shopping or a selection sheet uh, as we build the estimate, so what we would do is we can't put any specifics. Let's do, let's talk about the you know the the kitchen faucet for, for example. We can't we we would just put in there um, main floor uh, kitchen kitchen faucet. Like that's all we can tell you. We can't tell you what color it is, what make, what model, what style. Nothing. We can't. So that has got to go onto the allowance list uh, until such time as they come back to us with the okay, we want this this model, this make, this style, this color then we can actually change the verbiage within the estimate and actually make that a, specif- a specified item so we can include it in the specification. So so it's not much, like it's easy for you to create a selection sheet. You've just got to come up with a bunch of generic terms for said project that then needs to go to the client. Now, you can do that with Excel. You can do that, you know, in a. In am sure you can do that in most uh, job management or estimating softwares, um, but that you need to understand that process. You can't sell something you don't know anything about. So you've got to now I'm talking about fixed price. I'm not talking about cost plus, although this, this this four points is going to help you do a cost plus if that's what you want to do. The danger is what we're seeing currently is we're hanging our hat on a post a post six hundred thousand dollar price and the competition is saying it's between thrifty three fifty and four hundred. So what do you think the client's thinking? Well, Max, why are you so expensive? Well, we're not. We're accurate, we're realistic. And, and what they're saying is, well, we can't get finance for 600 grand. Well, that's not my problem. So you want a builder to start who tickles your ears with it on a cost plus contract who says, yeah, we can do it 350, 400. They get three quarters of the way through the project. They've already taken $300,000 from the client. Now what? Builder's got to go to client with cap in hand and say, uh, we're going to need another couple of hundred thousand. And then the client absolutely loses it because like we just got told today, it's out of their ability to finance that post six hundred thousand uh, dollar project. So if, if builder B down the road once tells them they can do it for $400,000 and then comes back to the client uh, three quarters of the way through the project and needs another hundred and fifty grand, the build's not going to get finished. The builder's not going to get paid, and the client's home is going to basically stay in, in a in a state of disrepair. It's all bad, folks. So even if you are doing cost plus, which I don't subscribe to, uh, I think you can you can do better. Uh, profit-wise from doing a fixed price, but even if you do cost plus, you better have an accurate way of uh, really compiling what a realistic price is through items and components and categories and assemblies and things like that because using a square foot rate or some antiquated way of you know doing an estimate for someone and giving – and you understand the difference between – I hope you understand the difference between a quote and an estimate. And you seriously need to Google that shit if you don't. But a quote is a fixed price. An estimate is a kind of ballpark. Stand back from the dartboard and throw it. Like it's got no reliability to it. It's an estimate, and and so, you know, I'm not going to get started on marketing messages. But guys and gals, I've been at this now for 25 minutes. I'm done. Um, so you've got to know how to estimate, point number one. Point number two, uh, you've got to have a network of, of designers who are reliable that are going to give you accurate pricing indications. Uh, you've got to have an organized RFQ process, understand that grinding subs and, and suppliers is not the way to build relationships, uh, quality relationships with those guys and gals long term. And you've got to understand uh, how powerful a selection sheet it can be in your endeavor to give people you know, accurate pricing. My name's Max. I'm the CEO. Uh, Like, share, and subscribe. Uh, If you want to get a hold of me and you've got questions about this episode or anything else, uh, max at businessforbuilders.ca. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Go build a kick-ass business. See you next time. Cheers.